This is chapter 132 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. This week, David Baldacci tells us why he's a bad, mean author, and we'll chat with thriller writer S.J. Roseanne about a new crime anthology featuring only women writers. A Minute to Midnight is the latest thriller from best-selling author David Baldacci to feature his first female protagonist, Atlee Pine. She's a favorite around here, but she really gets put through the ringer this time around as she attempts to solve the 30-year-old kidnap and murder of her twin sister. Our Pat Farnack got all the details. I love the title of the book, A Minute to Midnight. Um, yeah, it's catchy. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. Uh, where did that come from? I was trying to think the first uh, novel in the series of a long, you know, long road to mercy. So I wanted something of the same length, but it's almost like she's there's a clock counting down, you know, and she's running out of time to get this done. So sort of this reference to a minute to midnight, uh, sort of, you know, in, at least for me, mirrored that image that I wanted people to have. I really enjoy uh, your protagonist, Atlee Pine. Um, we were introduced to her, as you, you mentioned, in Long Road to Mercy. Who is she uh, to you? Uh, where did her character come from? I've written about a lot of female characters in my mm-hmm. novels, but never one that sort of led all the action, the main protagonist. All the others have sort of been teamed up with typically men. Um, so as a writer, you want to sort of push your boundaries, get out of your comfort zone, and creating a character like Atlee, who has a lot of baggage in her background with what happened with her sister when they were very little, uh, for me, justified having a series, because it was going to take you know, quite a few books to sort of resolve all of this. But I know a lot of agents, uh, FBI agents, Secret Service agents, ag- uh, female agents, a lot of different uh, acronym agencies around D.C., and it's a tough haul because it's still very much a male-dominated society, and this is sort of my way of maybe giving them a little bit of a voice, and this is what it's like to be a female agent in a very much a male world. Well, I appreciate you doing that uh, for all the female agents out there. Uh, we're introduced to Atlee in in this book, A Minute to Midnight, in a very interesting way. She's visiting a serial killer in a supermax prison, and um, we know that something is really off with Atlee. Uh, something is building to a crescendo. Um, tell me about that. That was a, a fascinating way to get into her story. Yeah, so she's at ADX Florence, which is it's a real, it's the only federal supermax prison in Colorado. Mm. Um, she's meeting with Daniel James Tour, who she believed might have abducted her sister all those years ago. She's trying to interrogate him to the extent that she can, trying to get information, even though he has no reason to tell her anything. And after she leaves there, she is beyond upset. Um, and she runs into an Amber Alert uh, scenario where this guy has snatched a young girl from a soccer match and they meet at the top of this box canyon, and she resolves the situation, and it should have ended there, but all of a sudden she sees in this guy, Daniel James Tour, and takes out 30 years of frustration on him and nearly kills the guy, which leads to her getting an ultimatum from the FBI or her, her boss, the FBI in Arizona. Get your head straight, go figure this past out, or you have no future left of the FBI. And that really is the catalyst for the whole novel moving forward. You know, in reading um, A Minute to Midnight, it's uh, uh, all about her resolving what happened to her twin, not only her sister, but her twin sister, Mercy, all those years ago. And she was snatched from their room, uh, Mercy was, at age six. And I was wondering, um, 
what do you remember in your own childhood at age six? And is it possible for us, I guess it is, to go back that far and uh, trace uh, what may have happened to us at that at that age? Yeah, it's very difficult. You know, this is sort of the coldest, the most cold cases because it's over 30 years ago. Although mm-hmm. cold cases have been solved that have been that old or even older. You know, childhood memories are a weird thing. I remember certain things from my childhood, and other things are a total blank. I think it's about the situation, whether it left an imprint on you for some reason. It could be a very, very simple reason, because you were having fun or something was exciting, or you got scared, mm-hmm. and because of that, you remember it. Uh, and some people remember their childhoods more than others. I have friends who seemingly remember every encounter they ever had from age like three until today, mm. uh, where sometimes I have a hard time remembering where I was last week. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it, it is, you know, it is one of those things, and it really is very individualistic, and people, different people remember things differently, and some just remember it better than others. And and it's all, all wrapped up in her identity. Uh, after she makes this trip in A Minute to Midnight, um, she has to question not only her own identity, but the identity of her of her mother as well. Yes. Yeah, there are lots of secrets that come out in this book. She started out just trying to figure out what had happened to her sister, Mercy. Uh, when she gets back to Andersonville, Georgia, she finds out that there's a lot of mystery about her entire background, about her family, about herself. It's a real eye-opener. You know, in books like this, if you're going to go down that road, you need to go down that road a long way, and you go really fast. Uh, Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. So in this book, I hurled everything I possibly could at this woman uh, to see whether I could break her. In some ways, you know, authors can be really mad, you know, bad, (laughs) mean people. Um, But, you know, I wanted to to see if I could break her. And uh, I think in this book, I came pretty close. Yeah, but she's still standing. Atlee is still standing. She's, a t- she's one tough lady, and she's got a great friend in Carol Blum, uh, mm-hmm. who is kind of her rock as well. And I love that dynamic between the two, you know, two different generations of, of women working together. You almost never see, you know, in books like this, you know, two women, particularly of two different generations, sort of teaming up together. So I really like their dynamic. I like their relationship. I do, too. And in some ways, um, Ms. Blum is uh, kind of a mother figure. And uh, I'm uh, interested in seeing where you go with this whole mother daughter relationship in reality for Atlee's real mom and uh, also was nice having uh, Ms. Blum fill in for uh, almost as a mother figure. Exactly sort of the relationship I envisioned for them because there's a gap there for Atlee and Carol Blum is actually a charity auction winner name somebody uh, (laughs) Carol's husband a couple of years ago spent like $20,000 was given to a charity uh, to have her his wife you know named uh, Carol Blum. So um, in Florida, we have a, a winter house in Florida, and uh, Carol Blum actually, they, they moved onto our street. So the Blums live right down the street from us. And I remember Carol driving by one day when I was outside. She rolled down the window after Long Road to Mercy came out. She goes, Oh, David, thank you so much. My friends told me they never knew I was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, as you were uh, mentioning, this, this book opens the door to so much more uh, as Atlee's investigation continues. And her character is. Is, is so very compelling. So uh, I'm anxious to see what happens next. Yeah, I, I am too. I, I left a lot of things hanging. This is one of those books where you turn the tap on a little bit then turn it off. You don't want to give everything away. You want to leave a lot out there because she's going to be around for a while. This is, this is a character that justifies quite a few books. Are you into the next book, the next Atlee Pine book? 
Well, what I'm finishing today and we'll be sending up to New York is the next book for next spring. It's an Amos Decker oh. thriller. He's my memory man, so I'm mm-hmm. just finishing that up today, which is you know really good timing. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for uh, telling us about it and for uh, writing the character. We so appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. The new anthology, Cutting Edge, features 15 new crime stories by only female writers. Contributors include Joyce Carol Oates, Margaret Atwood, and S.J. Roseanne, the latter of whom stopped by our studios to talk about the female noir collection, which aren't all stories about men getting it in the end. What drew you to be part of this anthology? Well, the first thing is when Joyce Carol Oates sends you an email saying, will you be in my book? You say, yes, 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 yes. Um, Besides that, noir is very interesting to me. I've written a number of noir stories, and in the series of Akashic noir books, and this is published by Akashic, I edited one of the books, Bronx Noir, and I have stories in, I think, four others. Those are very place-based, and so you have to know the place well. But I travel a lot, and I know a lot of places, and one of them was New Jersey. It's hard not to know New Jersey. So... I, I was drawn to the to the um, sensibility of noir and to Joyce Carol Oates and to the idea that this was female noir, which is an entirely different thing. So tell me what female noir is. Classic noir is basically the story of Adam and Eve. Adam is going along, minding his own business. Evil in the form of the serpent tempts not Adam... But Eve, Eve addresses Adam, and Adam falls. And that's classic noir. The man is trying to do good, and the woman tempts him away from it. In female noir, you can't play that game, because the, the world of classic noir is a man is... The, the evil comes out of the actions of the man. He has a choice. Women don't have that same kind of choice. Women are put in a box by society and told you have to do this and that and the other thing. And women, in order to make that move into evil, have to make a, a different kind of choice. And so the female voice in noir is often fighting against the box women feel like they've been put into. Joyce's own story (coughs) in this book is a great example of that. A woman who probably wasn't put as much in the box as she thinks she was, but is also telling the truth in a lot of ways. She didn't get what maybe she deserved, and at that point in her life, she is invisible. She's a fat, middle-aged woman. Nobody sees her. And so that allows her to take action that other people can't take. Through all the stories in this book, and there are also, uh, Margaret Atwood contributed a series of poems. Fabulous poems, yeah. That we have these women who, they're both victim and protagonist. They're out for revenge. They're doing things just because they want to do it. I want to talk about your contribution, and and that's one of the examples where you have both uh, a victim and someone who acts badly. Tell us about a history of the world and five objects. I was concerned when I started with the idea of someone really, really just trying to hold it together. 
someone who had to make such rules for herself that she built herself a really tiny constricting box in which she could survive. And then I went back to why would you have to do that to yourself? And I saw this character and her early life and what led up to where she was now and this enormous sense of both um, having been betrayed and used and abused and having done something really, really evil. And she had made a deal, it seems to me, with the universe that all of that could be in the past if she did these very specific things every day to hold herself together. And the deal was there would be a point when it would be over. And the universe and she managed for a while. And that, that, was, that was the character that, that interested me. I read through the story twice. The first time around, I read it for what it was at the surface. And then I went back and read it again when really those five objects that maybe I wasn't really paying attention so much and they came to me and you realize it's sort of like there was a light lit on a very slow burning fuse for the incident that started it all. And little by little, as the years went by, it ends in this final explosive scene in the story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That that those objects became imbued for her with the entire existence of the emotions and the situation and everything that had happened. And it was, that was the deal with the universe, is that those objects would provide the framework within which she operated and when the objects were gone things would be different we mentioned or you spoke about uh, Joyce's contribution what other stories within this collection resonated with you or that really stood out oh Bernice McFadden's just it just really stands out as um, it talk about really seriously not just dark but totally believable OFB Inc um, just <laughs> fabulous um, and also interesting the only one with a male yes protagonist. with a male protagonist right um, but a very female twist on this whole idea I mean the, 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 the idea of the anthology was the female voice not necessarily the female character and that's that voice where, where what McFadden does is take the situation that we're in now and say, if you can't beat them, join them. If you can't fight this, get over on them in the biggest way you can think of. And that's what she does. So it, the male protagonist, in a sense, is necessary because the male characters, I don't want to give anything away, but the male characters that the organization OFB Inc. is focusing on are white men. And so it is necessary for the protagonist of, of this book, of, that, of this story, to be a black man. A woman would not have done it. It would have been a whole other thing. But it is such a female take on, haha, you think you've got us. Well, you don't. Um, another one is Il Grafone and uh, Valerie Martin. And uh, S.A. Solomon's uh, uh, Impala, 
also is is very the thing about Impala is that there's nothing about it that you don't believe and you just know that this young woman is going to end up screwed at the end and then she doesn't you know mm-hmm. which is just fabulous and i think too that especially in that story that's a situation that a lot of women have found themselves in whether it's they're taking the subway at night they're walking down a dark street yeah. and they're they come across this male figure guised in trying to help but there's this sense that that's not really what's happening yeah yeah and, and she kind of takes it to where maybe some women fantasize taking it yeah yeah and she keeps saying to herself it's okay it's okay and her body keeps screaming it's not okay you know it's not okay and that's something that women often ignore when you feel you get in an elevator and you feel oh my god this guy is creepy and you think to yourself no what do you mean creepy he's not creepy he's just you know sitting in the elevator standing in the elevator but you know he's creepy and in this case she let her body tell her what to do and that is something i think that we all fantasize could happen and that creepy factor too is is one of the points in the il grafone the the story that yes. you mentioned yes that that she knew there was something wrong she knew there was something going on and everybody else all the men were saying there's really nothing going on what do you want, what can you point to what can you say he did and she knows she knows but she's being told by these men who are obviously a a um allegory for the larger society she's being told she's wrong that her emotions are wrong her feelings are wrong her sensibility is wrong and so she has to deal with it herself because they aren't going to help even though that's supposed to be their job if we buy this thing of 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 helpless women and and protective men that's supposed to be their job but they're refusing to do it this all being said do you think this book will appeal to readers of all genres or all genders i hope so because i mean i understand that that for men reading 20 stories were <laughs> men get men get it in the end um <laughs> they don't all they don't get it in the end in all these stories uh, a lot of them are stories about women dealing with women they're 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 women's um sort of women's success stories in an odd way but i think there are stories that uh will appeal just to lovers of the dark uh i think uh solomon's story will appeal to that's it's a very classic noir in a way where this woman is just caught she's just completely caught she's she's from the beginning and yet she has worked out ways even becoming the gangster's girlfriend she's worked out a way to deal with the kids in school by becoming that i think the men i know who read noir will like this take on it Although I think it will make because there's 20 of them in a row, I think it will make some men uncomfortable. And so if you're one of those men and you're listening, I would suggest buying it and reading it, you know, a story a week for half a year. And I realize on the surface that it, that was almost an unfair question for me because if this were a classic noir anthology, I don't think the question would come up would female readers not want to read this because there are plenty of women out there who like to read classic noir. 
That's absolutely true. Um, and that kind of question actually happens all the time. That is is not asked all the time. Uh, I I have had people actually say to me, uh, booksellers, I had a guy in here yesterday and I tried to sell him your book, but he says he doesn't read books by women. Um, men will do that. Women won't do that. I, I don't know any women who won't read books by men, although a lot of women prefer reading women authors because they speak to them. But there is th- that that kind of odd dichotomy doesn't happen um, otherwise. But it's it's a good question. I mean, maybe maybe instead of not asking it for this book, people should ask it for other books because there are some writers that s- a lot of women, including me, won't read because they're so heavily old-fashioned, macho, little woman, big man kind of thing, that there's just nothing in it for me. So it would be interesting to ask that question of those writers, of those those male writers, especially since something like 75% of book buyers are women, which is an, an interesting... Uh, although somebody has said, yeah, but they're buying Christmas presents for their husbands. Oh, yeah, no. right. <laughs> and I think also there's this interesting trend now, too, of male authors assuming kind of gender generic names yeah. yeah and they're writing female characters and a lot of, I, I mean I've been duped once or twice with books that have come through the newsroom that I'm like oh this sounds really interesting can't wait to talk to her and get an email back from the post well he'll be more than happy to join you <laughs> right, right which I think is fine I, I mean I know now um, there's an entirely new conversation about cultural appropriation which I think is an appropriate conversation. I mean, I think it's it's well worth having. But to me, the bottom line is if a writer does it well, then it's okay. The, the, the question is, the question also comes up, is it okay to write in a voice that isn't yours? And I think writers almost always do that. Otherwise, we are all confined to very small boxes. I mean, I would be writing about middle-aged Jewish women who have an older brother and two younger sisters and were born in the Bronx. You know, I mean, it's, there's, there's, the box gets smaller and smaller. I think it's fine to do that if you do it well. I think some of the male writers writing in female voices are writing basically, um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm quoting someone here, and I don't know if you can put this on the radio, but men with tits. That is, they're, they're not writing women because I, I, I read something where a woman um, got, it, she went she went somewhere and 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 to meet to meet a guy she was supposed to interview, and someone else said, you know, get in the car. He's not there. He's you know, I'll take you to where he is. And the writer just went on, and I thought, no, 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 no woman is going to get in a car with a strange man to go meet another strange man who isn't in the place where he was supposed to be. It's just not going to happen. Um, and the writer thought it was going to happen that kind of thing um but if you can you if you can get inside the skin of the woman and say you know no she she really wants this interview but she really doesn't want to get in a car with a strange man um what does she do how does she handle it that's an interesting question and so it uh, my my attitude is if men can do it fine but if they can't do it, they should go back to doing what they do. I have to object to the disguise, to the to the pretending the book was written by a woman, as opposed to the gender-neutral 
initials thing, which I use myself, not because it's gender neutral, but because many people find my name unpronounceable, but it does have that effect. So that is okay with me, but when everything is all disguised and you don't know, and then finally it comes out, um, that's not acceptable. And I guess, you know, if people want to go out and read stories by women, this anthology, Cutting Edge, is a great place, I think, to start. I agree. It's a great place to start. And then you can look at, you know, the 20 women in it and go out and read their other works. Um, and then you can, you know, branch out from there. There's a lot of great dark work by women if you're into dark, if you're into noir. There's a lot of great work by women in the... Uh, crime genre in the so-called literary genre these are these are distinctions i really dislike but they're there there's a lot of of dark powerful work being done by women and i would recommend it as highly as i recommend some of the great work being done by men so that's that's my recommendation <laughs> well s sj roseanne thank you for coming in talking to us about this book in particular, your contribution to it, and just the contribution of women authors as a whole to current, you know, I know you don't like crime or literary, but to that genre and books in general. Well, thank you for having me. I, I really enjoyed being here. And that's where this chapter comes to an end. Next time, can you believe it's that time of year already? If you're behind on your shopping, you know who you are. We've got some great recommendations for the reader on your list in our supersized annual holiday gift guide. Until then, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Cherkovich.